Welcome to the Making Space Podcast. I'm Jen Pillipow, and this show is dedicated to bringing awareness to our habits and their root causes because I believe that with awareness comes choice, and with choice comes change. And as a hypnotherapist, I know how much our subconscious minds influence us, but as a human on my own healing journey, I also know it's not always just about mindset. I understand how important integration and embodiment is and how those terms can feel confusing and hard to implement. These are the themes that I like to unpack in this show. This is season three, and I'm joined with my dear friend and colleague, Jennifer Kelly. Jennifer is a professional development trainer and positive psychology coach, and together we're exploring the effects of people-pleasing from our own perspectives, experiences, and circumstances. We hope our conversation sparks some insight in you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Inner Child Reparenting Workshop, now available on my website. If you have trouble with boundaries and saying no, if you have a harsh inner critic and unreasonably high expectations of yourself, if you're highly anxious and you worry constantly about what other people are going to think about you, and if you continually ignore and distract your intense emotions and your needs, then these are all signs that your inner child could use some reparenting and you are the best person to do this. This workshop will help you connect in, actively reparent, and work towards honoring and accepting this part of you. And by connecting into your emotions, you're embodying while releasing old belief systems, making space for fresh new perspectives, choices, and change. This workshop is available now, and you can get the link in the show notes or visit my website at jenpillipow.com. Also, if you are interested in a people-pleasing workshop delivered by Jennifer and I, we would love to know. So head over to the show notes, submit your interest, and let us know that we should get on creating that. And finally, if you're liking this show, please hit subscribe because this does help raise visibility so that other people can find it too. And that would mean so much to us. Let's go to the show. Ooh, let's start with a story because I bet you it'll, it'll branch off into what I was thinking. <laughs> Uh, so this, um, a client of mine, um, s- someone on this, she's not my client, but she works for my client. Yeah. Um, and she's a chronic self-described, uh, people pleaser and similar, very similar to us and has experienced all that. But in the last couple of weeks, she's gone through this major surge of assertiveness and she's really standing up for herself at work and she's setting boundaries with people around her. And I'm just so fascinated by it because she still hears kind of the inner people-pleasing voice uh, wanting to draw her back. But when she's confronted in a situation where she has to stand up for herself or be assertive, she executes it flawlessly. And I just find it fascinating. It's like, how are you able to move so seamlessly into being assertive when in your mind you're you want to people please but yet when confronted with the chance you choose assertiveness every time and that's what she's been doing so my first question and curiosity is around what awareness she had what flipped the switch because there's definitely a new perspective in play and I wonder Mm. what that is Mm. You know, I think it's been building for a while. Like, I think she's had numerous incidents of people taking advantage of her. Like, she's very compassionate. And again, she likes to do a lot for people. And again, that people pleasing, but she also has really compassionate heart and nature. So I think the last little while, people have been kind of stretching that a bit and just seeing how much they can kind of get away with with her. You and I both experienced that. You know, sometimes I feel like we have a tag on us, right? Like we're going to take all your emotions, like see, you know, we're going to take it all on, see how far you can get with us. Or That's certainly true for me. So people I find test emotional boundaries. So they've been doing that to her. And I don't know, she was, she was not confronting it for a while and she was getting really sick emotionally and really stressed. Mm-hmm. And then one day she just said, she decided I'm going to have this conversation And she didn't do any note-taking. Like I was thinking of myself, I would have been up like preparing my script and, you know, going over my eye messages, but she went into the conversation and it got started and she just asserted everything that she had been feeling and, and had to say very difficult things. Like, I don't like the way I'm being treated. And I, it was remarkable. 
Wow. And it's interesting because sometimes when people first start dipping those toes in the water, they go too far the other way and they kind of miss assertiveness and go into, um, what, what did you call it? Like there's a, there's kind of, um, there's, oh, yeah. what, what are the three? Uh, there's assertive. Yeah. Four actually assertive, passive, passive, aggressive, and aggressive. Aggressive. So the, it, like most people, well, a lot of people would swing towards aggressive when they're first kind of getting used to it, but she sort of found that assertive middle ground. It's really interesting. And I had to think, I had to wonder, it's like, has that side, is that the real her? Because you know, when you're people pleasing and we've talked about this, uh-huh. you're unconsciously wearing a mask, you're putting on a front. Remember we talked about this, like, and, and the ethics of that, like, are we ever really being genuine or our true selves when a goal unconsciously or consciously is to people please or to be liked? So I had to wonder that underneath all the layers, is this actually the real her? Someone who can find her voice is quite composed and can assert herself in the moment when she needs to. Like, which one is more the real her? And I feel it's this this person. Yeah. Going through this evolution, she calls it. But I wonder if it was always there. Okay, so this does lead into what I wanted to talk about. And that's, um, so in that assertiveness book that I was reading, it was talking about differentiation. And so I'll start out by saying assertiveness is a way that you express differences while remaining connected. Mm. So of course, as a people pleaser, my fear is that if I'm assertive and I speak my needs, I'm going to lose that connection with the person that I care about. They're not going to like me anymore. They're going to become upset. Um, I'm not going to feel that safety of connection, fake or not. And so it sounds like this person has been able to trust that there's going to be connection with the right people and that she is safe to be assertive and express differences and still feel accepted or connected. So I wanna talk a little bit about this differentiation because I I found it really, really interesting. And I'm just going to read some of my notes that I took. So the ability to be assertive, to clearly and confidently express your feelings, thoughts, needs, and wants when they differ greatly from other people who are important to you is essentially the expression of differentiation. Hmm. So it's the ability to navigate the tension between our desire for authenticity, wanting to be ourselves and our desire for connection. Right. And of course, I think that we've talked a lot about it, that fear of authenticity, that fear of being different because we're going to lose connection. And of course, connection is like a primal human trait. Yes. So if we're allowing other people to have a different of a difference of opinion, if we're allowing ourselves to have a difference of opinion and to communicate those, this would be like a high level of differentiation. And so if we think about when we were growing up, I was thinking about this for myself, like how did my family have a low level differentiation? Was it a high level? And I think in some cases, I think there's a little bit of both because for example, there was like the family norm was not, to get further education um, was probably to be more of a stay-at-home mom. Um, And my parents never pressured me in that. They always just said, do whatever you want to do and we'll support you. So there was a really high level of differentiation there. They supported my authenticity in that way. But where we had a low level of differentiation and what would threaten like our family dynamic or identity is with emotion. We could really only feel certain emotions to a certain extent because that was all anybody was ever taught. That was the only capacity that the family had. Nobody's fault, just the way that it was. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, we had a really low level differentiation where we would never express a big emotion in front of each other. That would be done in private. 
we would never talk about that. Um, and if anybody ever did bring it up, it would probably have gotten shut down or the topic would be changed. Yeah. And so you kind of think about that and then you go into your life and that's sort of the barometer that you're working with. Right. And so for me, I feel like a pretty low level differentiation in a lot of situations where I feel like I need to conform more than I'm allowed to be myself. Yeah, I would say that's similar to me as well. But it's funny, like when you talk about the risk of losing connection, that's not what comes up for me. Mm, what comes up for you? Well, the, that I won't be liked, the people pleasing piece. That's a lack of connection. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. I, okay. I never, I had never thought of that before. Well, that's, that's an important part of it to, to talk about, I think, because you know, depending on what our vocabulary, what we place meanings on different words. So for you, what does connected mean? It means that there's a, I guess, a genuine trustworthy connection between myself and the other person that's not defined by me looking for, for them to like me or to think I'm an, an excellent instructor or coach or, and also I find I try, I really want to like transform people like unconsciously. It's like, I, I want to say something that's going to make a difference. And it's partly because I like that type of work and I care for people. But the other part is that I think that's part of my, I think that makes me liked is when I can be insightful or to say something big that's transformational. So when I say that connection is genuine and meaningful, I want it to be the real me, like me not <laughs> trying to, to gain a people-pleasing point. Um, and, and that's hard for me. Um, since our episodes, I've gotten better at, at recognizing it and kind of talking myself away from it. And what I do is I'll just say to myself, just listen, you don't actually need to mm -hmm. offer. They're not required to come in here and transform and do something big. And, and that's helped a lot. But yeah, I guess that's how I would define connection. It's me being genuine and the other person being genuine as well. Yeah. So I'm thinking about some examples. So the first one that I was thinking about is our relationship, how, um, you know, when we met, we were instant friends and just mm -hmm. instantly connected. And, and at that point, because we're new to each other, we are connecting on similarities, things that we both like, shared values, that kind of thing. But then as our relationship grew, we start to share things with each other that are like the shadow side, the, the not so pretty side, right? <laughs> and yeah. there's still a lot of acceptance. Like I know that I can come to you with anything and I'll still have connection with you. I, I don't fear losing that. And so that's, that's, you know, in some cases it feels natural like that, like how I just explained and how we have some really good friendships or relationships like that. But then there's some things like in, in work dynamics where, for example, you had to be assertive recently with a client and, and that can be a lot scarier because you do risk losing that connection. You don't know how the other people are going to react. And um, I don't know, I'm kind of interested in hearing your thoughts around that. You mean like the difference between like, like what, yeah, like how it, how it, what it would take, what it takes, what it took for you to be assertive with somebody that you don't have an established relationship with, and you don't know if the, what you assert is going to lose connection. You know, in some ways I feel like that's easier for mm. me. Yeah. Which, yeah. For some reason I find that easier. Like I, you know, I use my techniques, my tools, I, I build my script the night before, which really helps focus me. And the scripts are all about defining my assertive outcome, what am I looking for, and helping me phrase it. And that keeps me on track, it keeps me from, you know, not going into the people pleasing zone, <laughs> if they don't like what I have to say. And it just keeps me it gives me confidence, I guess, because I'm preparing. And I will do that with a client situation. But a personal situation, I feel like I would go into the avoidance style, the passive style. And, and, and I would avoid being assertive because again, I'd be afraid that there would, it would create conflict or that the, or that I would hurt the person. 
So I think easier with clients and my work, even though I could actually lose financial, uh, you know, financial gain and a client for some reason, I find that easier than someone. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's almost like there's, there's different things at stake, right? Yeah, I guess so. And until you had brought this idea, I had never thought of it like that, like the, um, the connection piece and how that plays into our ability to be assertive. And I, I hadn't actually thought of assertiveness in that way before. Um, and maybe that comes from my teaching with it. In a way, the way I was taught assertiveness, it's very like you state your needs and your opinions, you use particular strategies and you execute. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do like the formula. <laughs> yeah, this piece though adds that deeper element that I think is really worth considering though. Um, because like like you just said, looking at the stakes, right? And how that might be impacting uh, how we behave. Yes. Okay. So this is a couple other things that I was thinking about and that how, you know, we've been talking about people pleasing and how to bring awareness around it and how to kind of work it more like a dial because people pleasing really is inevitable, pretty much like it's kind of baked into the system and what we're learning and how to be and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, we've always said, it's not just about stopping it, but there's a huge element around it about repairing and reconnecting to yourself after it happens, where you're taking the time to reflect, name it, have a lot of self-compassion around it. Because remembering that, you know, the core of it really is connection and safety. Mm. And of course we want connection and safety and we'll do anything to have those things. So having a lot of self-compassion around that, that we're human, this is a part of being human. Most humans will feel this way. And in that reflection and repair and reconnection to yourself there's so much healing in that healing people pleasing doesn't mean stopping it healing people pleasing is really more about understanding yourself and understanding when your environment is going to demand it for your safety and then not shaming or abandoning yourself for it but actually taking that as a sign to reconnect to yourself, to bring in some of that self-compassion, to learn about yourself and to trust that that, that is the healing. That's the healing bomb. That's really wise. And I think we talked about that early on in our people pleasing episodes, like the importance of just that self-support. Yes. You also need that self-support to be assertive, to stop people pleasing, like we have to really back ourselves, right? We have to, instead of looking externally for validation or for someone else to say, you're, you're worthy. I can, I'm going to get that. I'm going to give you the check mark you're looking for, right? We have to do that all ourselves. And that's really hard when we're used to looking outwards for it. And it's all about telling ourselves, I don't need that check mark from you, or I don't need, I already can give that to myself. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if I still struggle, or even if while I'm being assertive, there's the people pleasing voice, like that's okay, right? That voice is going to be there with me, but I'm going to continue to back myself and support myself through this growth period. Yeah, yeah. And that's the most important part. The most important part isn't that you don't do people pleasing. The most important part is that you're learning and supporting yourself. Yeah. As you journey through it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I wonder, you know, what does it take for people though, to adopt that mindset versus, for example, like we were saying earlier, going right away into aggression because the aggression style is often based on fear. Right. And yes, building a long time Mm -hmm. for the person like they they want to get the control back because they they haven't had their voice in so long and there's insecurities there and fear and that mindset takes a hold and so how do you bring people to what we were just talking about self-support supporting even your fears um guiding your own self through your fears acknowledging them and then choosing a more healthy response, whether it's assertiveness or not people-pleasing, how do you get them there versus, boom, the fears and insecurities take over and I'm going to choose an aggressive approach because really I want the control because both people want the same things, I think, mm-hmm. right? 
to be heard, to feel validated. Yes. yes. So that always strikes me as interesting. Is it a certain personality that okay. would think, right? Yeah. Or- <laughs> so I have an idea about this because I thought a lot about that too. And I, and you know how you, you were asking, you know, how do we get to that point? I think it's, it's the self-awareness and, and knowing yourself and knowing your fears, knowing when you're going to be triggered. Mm. And there's something about the attachment style. So have we talked about this yet? We have. Yeah. We yes. Have. I think there's something about that, right? With the different kinds of attachment styles, you've got secure, avoidant, anxious, disorganized. And, and this all really runs subconsciously. This is really like your nervous system wiring, what's going to make you feel safe, what's going to make you live in that fear and and then maybe act more aggressively. And knowing which attachment style you fall into, I think that can really help give you a big understanding about um, some of your tendencies, right? And, And understanding that those tendencies are coming subconsciously in an effort to keep you connected and safe. It's hard to go against biology, right? But if we know, then it, it just gives us some some more insight in different ways to maybe respond instead of react. Yeah, that that is a really, really good point. And it brings up two things for me. And this is the mm-hmm. instructor in me. I automatically think, and we've talked about this, people aren't taught. They aren't taught self-care. They aren't taught assertiveness they aren't taught self-compassion right so I automatically think it's like how do you teach people to to look at the deeper layers like is my attachment style influencing the way I'm I'm reacting all of that to me is self-awareness and self-reflection so I feel like if you don't have that then how do you you can't get to the next layer is how I feel yeah yeah, I'm totally with you. And there's a huge movement around self-care, right? And I and a lot of it is it's doing more good than bad, right? But a lot of it is around bubble baths and journaling. And yes, yeah. those those are really important things, absolutely. But I think the biggest form of self-care is is really our self-talk. It's our I self-compassion. Think, I think so too. I think um, you know, that movement around and, and these are good movements. Don't get me wrong. I mean, one of the self-care things I'm doing now is like taking baths and slowing, <laughs> right. And, and just thinking, and like, these things are important. Um, yeah. like I wanted to call them superficial, but that's not the word I'm thinking of. It's like, it's a, it's a top layer. I kind of see what you mean yeah. by superficial. Yeah. It's exactly. It's, it's a band-aid. Like, yeah. Right. Exactly. I was going to say, it's like the turtleneck of self-care, like the fuzzy turtleneck. <laughs> <I> like <that. laughs> yeah. Um, so those are important, but I think you're right. Like what's going to make it stick is the challenging your own thoughts, working on your self-talk, backing yourself up through the struggle and the journey and the growth and, and forgiveness and compassion. I think that's what makes it stick. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, um, I had a really hard time starting this with my own self-talk, like especially the self-compassion to me, it was such a vulnerability and a weakness that I had a hard, I know it's not that, but I had a hard time getting my head around it. And what I found an easier way to start is actually starting with other people. So um, where I would normally have a, a harsh judgment on myself, I would start to look at other people doing the same kind of behavior and having a lot of compassion and empathy for their behavior. And that seemed to help me. And then the self-talk came later. That's, that is such an interesting approach. Interesting. Like, how do you though, like then, cause sometimes I think I, I, I can do that, but then I do it too much. Right. Where people, oh, yeah. Yeah. right. Well, I feel manipulate me or take advantage of that side. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how do you put the boundaries around that as well? Because I really like that suggestion. Um, but I feel like I would, they would take advantage of me, but maybe that's my fears again at work. Like, yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. And that's definitely an area where you would have to be careful with your boundaries because of your own background circumstances and the way you're wired. Right. And, and what, and what life has taught you. And so knowing that about yourself is so powerful because you would know that if, for example, you were having a lot of compassion for somebody else. Um, 
routinely being late or um, not getting back to you at um, in, in an effective amount of time that you need them to get back to you, things like that is, is maybe you have some sort of boundary around it where it's like, okay, I can have a lot of compassion because I know what it's like to feel like things are out of your control and you end up being late. But then maybe it's like you let them, and depending on their relationship, if it's a client or something and it's been three times and then you see a pattern more than just an offset, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, but I, I feel like your awareness around your fear is uh, <laughs> like a blinking light to say that you need a little bit of a parameter around it. Yeah. Okay. No, I know. I do see what you mean. I do see what you mean. But actually, you know, where I found it to be the most helpful is um, when I first started um, my journey around like my body and how I was reacting to, you know, the way other women's bodies looked and bringing a lot of like love to what I was seeing, even though it's not like the stereotypical, what the world shoves down our throat, what women should look like, but like looking at all women of all ages and sizes and seeing what I love about what I'm seeing made it easier to love my body. If that makes sense. It does. It does. I think that's really amazing. Um, I just, and it's so anti what we see, say, for example, on social media platforms, right? It's all about comparison in an, in, I think a negative way. Yes. And you're actually looking at it through a different lens, a, a, a healthier kind of positive way um, which is so opposite. It strikes me as so opposite um, from the way that we see on social media. And it's so crushing for so many women. I know it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. Every, like the amount of messaging we get throughout the day of how we should look, no wonder every client that comes into my office is talking about comparison. Like, Oh, I should be here. Look at, you know, well, you know, my colleagues are doing this. That's right. No, I mean, we all have our own journey. And that's another way where I found like having so like being able to see it so clearly for the clients that come into my office and seeing that their own, they're on their own beautiful, precious journey. Comparison is so not necessary. And as I can see that from that perspective, it helps me bring that into my own perspective where of course I feel comparison too. like, Oh, I should be here by now, or I should be doing this, or I should have this. And yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter. You know, it just comparison is just so unnecessary. And yet that's what's really like subliminally taught. I know. And it makes me so sad. And, and, you know, it's weird because I have to say, and I don't know what, why, but like, I, I haven't really struggled with comparing my body to other women. I haven't had a lot of like body image challenges and I've always been mystified by that because, you know, I, I care a lot about fitness and health yeah. and, you know, when I was younger, I was like, okay, I'm really muscular, but it's like, I ended up kind of embracing that. And my focus has always been on the fitness part. And then when I talk to someone like another friend of mine always feels like she's never slim enough, she never looks good enough. And I just, it's like, it must be so painful. Like, I'm grateful that for whatever reason, I, I more so compare myself like intellectually. <laughs> I feel like, right? Someone is is smarter than me. They're a better instructor. Look how they articulate their points. That's where I get my. <laughs> oh, I do that too. <laughs> does that too. But it's like, it's so unfair. Because I think unlike the other comparisons and insecurities women experience, the body image ones are actually pushed at us subliminally through yeah. society. Yeah. It's like, we can't control that one as much, right? It's amazing that you've dodged that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. Like, I mean, I remember being a teenager being, you know, the athletic kind of body type. And I remember briefly, I was like, I don't really like this, but I so loved fitness that early on, I was like, yeah, this is my body type. And that was it. <laughs> You know, and I recognize it sounds almost privileged. I feel almost privileged not to have that as an insecurity, but yeah, it's, there's this, my priority was always on the fitness 
Um, and somehow I dodged that, but yet I see it in other women and yeah. it kills me. Yeah. It, I know. It's, yeah. Anyway, this is like, we kind of veered off. From yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of got off on a tangent. All about the self-care piece, right? And like yeah. so many pieces of self-care, like accepting who you are physically, accepting where you are in terms of your growth, accepting um, challenges that you go through. There's so much to it. And again, to go back full circle, how do we guide people to that inner reflection and the deeper work versus I'm going to take a bath and I've done my self-care for the week, right? Yeah. How do you go over the other way? Because we know, I think you and I, I feel like we've established for us anyway, that managing people pleasing and becoming more assertive is linked to self-support and self-talk. I feel like that's what we've sort of concluded. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of tools to get us there. We're naturally deep reflectors. We're deep thinkers. We share resources with each other. But how do other people get there? And that always, it's almost like it troubles me. <laughs> <It's> like, I know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um I don't know, for me, the starting point has really always been getting more information about myself and how I operate instead of looking to others to assume that that's how I do it. And it started out years and years and years and years ago, really with just my horoscope, right? Just understanding like, what is, what is it? What's a Scorpio trait? What does that mean? Why am I like that? And then understanding that, um, you know, being an introvert was something like I remember vividly when Susan Kane first came out with that book and how shocking and of that realization was for me. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, human design and different personality quizzes, I think they're all interesting and they're a really great way to start as long as we don't use these things to then put ourselves in another box of, oh, this is how I am, but taking from it what makes sense and, starting to notice those traits in yourself and which ones are of shadow and which ones are of light, like the ones of light that you really want to step into and, and, and practice feeling safe, sharing that and the shadow where those are the things that we all have with our triggers and where we can learn more about our wounds and how to heal them. And that's probably something that you more do with a trusted coach or a therapist. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the path that I see it is really just starting to build that self-awareness and, and then taking it deeper layer by layer. So it's not so much, it's like concentric circles, right? So you don't get so far out there that it's dysregulating to your system and then you crash back. But yeah. to take a step out and learn a little bit about that layer and take another step out and, you know, what's, what's here to learn about myself and how yeah. does it all fit? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's why, again, I find myself unconsciously trying to do that when others tell me about their journey. I think, again, part of it is I'm really interested. It's just natural for me to try to want to guide someone to think a little bit deeper or to challenge or to grow. And then the other part of it, I, I will confess, I think is in my mind, I think, I think I've got to be this transformational being, <laughs> um, you know, and that's tied into people pleasing, but um, that kind of reminds me too, though, that that's, it's, it's getting back to yourself, right? Like I don't need to transform anyone but myself, <laughs> And I'm not responsible if someone doesn't get to that place. I hope they do. And I hope maybe I do offer something to help people evolve through their belief systems, but I don't need to be that person. And I think that's assertiveness as well, right? Ooh, like, it is. Yeah. We, we, can, we have the right to say no. We have the right to change our mind. We have the right to say, I can't you know, manage this conversation or I need to step back. We all have the right to do that. So um, it's funny because we were just talking about horoscopes and we are both Scorpios, which is a transformational sign. So of course, like what we love and crave is deep conversation and transformation. Like that's exciting <laughs> to us, but it's also, but because, but the shadow part of it is the people pleasing, right? Because all of a sudden we know that we have this quality and we know that we crave it. We know that often we get it. Right. Yeah. And so there's this high expectation. And then 
if we're not getting it, we kind of want to do a dance to get to it because that's what feels good. And that's the people pleasing like shadow side of it. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. You know, like us, it's it's also fascinating to me, like assertiveness generally, right? Like, like for example, the person I spoke with today, like, you know, what's I was again, I was thinking, is that actually who you are, who you've been all along? And mm-hmm. or was something kind of brought you there? I'm really curious. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not sure about her journey there. I just know that she got there really quickly. And I even said to her, like, she did a better job than I feel I would have. Now, again, you mentioned the connection part and I hadn't thought of that. So maybe this was a situation because she did say she's looking at kind of moving away from the situation. So maybe there was less risk and, and right. gains, right? Yeah. But, but even then, like more, there there would be more of a, um, a lean towards being aggressive if you're like, well, you know, this is probably ending anyways. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I mean, I think about, I do feel like I did say I, like, I felt I wouldn't have been able to do that. And I teach assertiveness. I mean, just on Friday, I taught an assertiveness course, a short course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many, the, the, the comments I always get is that people say, I didn't know that it's okay to say no. I like know. people, people are just floored by it. I know. You know, I remember I was too. Yeah. It's just like what I can say, like, I'm going to change my mind or no, this isn't for me. Like it's extraordinary. Right. And then it's the rest of it. It's what we talk about, how the stick to itness, right? What makes the stick? You've had the transformation. It's been awoken. How do you make it stick? Yeah. So for me, like just from my hypnotherapy training to me, that's, there's been a new awareness brought in that is just overriding the old one. And it can also be, you know, we do get to a certain age where it's just like enough done. That is done enough. (laughs) And it also depends how much you're tested. Right. I mean, I was thinking about how the last two years, how I haven't, I've been tested in many ways. Yes. But I've also been not tested in other ways because I haven't been in a work environment. I hadn't, I didn't have colleagues. I didn't have a boss, you know, for that, especially that year of COVID where things were really not open. I mean, I was at home with my family and we couldn't go anywhere or do anything. So there was really little triggers there. It was interesting. Yeah. So I think there's a few things there to consider. It's like, well, how long have you been bothered by it? How much are you being tested Mm -hmm. and, and what's the connection? What's, what is there to, how much is there to lose? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to add to that. What's your belief systems? Like some Uh, fundamentally believe they don't have the right to say, no, they didn't even know. They've never even heard of assertiveness. Okay. (laughs) so Yeah. That brings up something that I was at a conference on Friday and there was a woman speaking about grief actually. And I loved how she did it because she acknowledged that grief is not just losing somebody that you love, but it's also when we grieve, when we lose parts of ourselves, we, we grieve losses in our lives that don't include other people. And I love how she brought in that scope and she talked about it, how you and I often talk about it in the way that it's not something you get over. It's something that you learn to carry. Um, but she was saying, you know, a lot of her work is around boundaries and, um, she's, she's here in Saskatchewan. She's got like two master's degrees and social worker. And, and she said, you know, I, some of my clients are East Indian and they'll say to me, you white people and your boundaries, you don't understand. Like if you think about their family dynamic and how different that culture is and like, that's it's so true. Like you, you really just have to look at your own situation. And I love that we share our stories here and I hope that people find the context in it um, because we're all so different. Yeah. That's something, you know, we haven't even discussed like the cultural differences, the cultural elements of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting to me as well. And, and seeing how that all fits and yeah, it's, it's a lot of inner work. Yeah. I do 
think it gets easier the, the more, again, you practice and the more you figure out the layers and decide that you want something more for yourself. I think it does get easier. Yeah, I think um, it's a lot of inner work being human. <laughs> like if you if you're interested in personal development and you want to continue to grow and you want um, you want things to change, like it does take a lot of inner work. And I find for myself that it's just a lot of up and down. Like sometimes it feels like things get easy easier for a while, and then sometimes things feel like it's all hard again. And it kind of just goes up and down and sideways and backwards and like, and it's scary. Yeah. It, it's really scary. Yeah. It, yeah. It can be, it can be, and it can be really tiring too. And so again, coming back to self-care. So like we talked about how self-compassion, absolutely. But also taking care of the physical body as well. So that's where baths actually do come in. Where It's like, <laughs> Yeah, like that, that is important to really take care of your body and, and, um, okay, so something that just kind of popped into my head around self compassion and comparison, because I was just thinking this morning about how, you know, Roger is home sick today. And it's been a lot of um, sick days away from school. And Tim and I are trying to juggle work and take care of him. And, and it feels like a lot. And then a voice immediately came in and said, oh, it's not that bad. Like other people have more than one kid sick. Other people have kids with cancer for crying out loud. Like this is nothing. This is okay. And then I thought, no, wait, yes, I, I agree. There, there are harder situations out there, but also I'm allowed to feel frustrated exactly. and overwhelmed and torn and, and sad. And all, I'm a, still allowed to feel all those things. And that's okay too. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny. You mentioned the conference you were at where she talked about the loss of um, yourself and, and how yeah. that be grief as well. Um, it, that what you just said then reminds me to like people try to, it's almost like they don't, you feel guilty for yeah. feel, feeling stressed or you feel yeah because you're reacting the way you do because someone else yeah someone else in, inevitably has it worse yeah but what I've learned is that each experience is unique and how you cope is unique to you and and decide and is dependent on a lot of factors that may not be in someone else's life right I mean and just take for example my long extended grief over my dad's death I mean that's there for a reason he was the primary parental figure in my life like it's it's very layered it's more complicated for me and that is okay and it's whether it's that or it's you're stressed because you have a sick child and yeah there probably is a child who's even sicker but that doesn't take away the fact that it's difficult for you mm -hmm. and that's based on a lot of reasons and it's unique and we all have the right like you just said to feel the way that we feel and that is again is assertiveness <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah interesting how it keeps coming back to that and also the other thing it made me think of is empathy so I used to think of empathy as being like put myself in the other person's shoes, which is actually just super unhelpful for everybody. And from what, I, what I've come to learn about empathy is hearing somebody tell their story, hearing how it affects them, not thinking about how it would affect me, but understanding that I've probably felt the emotion that the other person is feeling. I have felt sadness. I've felt overwhelmed. I felt these things, different contexts, different reasons, but I can have empathy because I felt those things before. And I know it's hard to feel those things. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. The moment I put somebody, I try to put myself in somebody else's shoes, all is lost because then I'm overcome with their grief. I'm not helping anybody and it's not helping them either. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've tried to, you know, it's funny to talk about empathy. One of the things that I've tried to practice more is validation versus empathy yeah. oh like just acknowledging yeah. and, and it also helps me with my chronic need to people please slash transform <laughs> like <laughs> um, right validation is yeah. really you you just have to validate the other person's experience and you don't need to do anything else and it's actually sometimes what the person's actually looking for 
Oh, hundred percent. We all want to be seen and heard. It's such yeah. a primal human thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there's a really important distinction there. And again, it ties back to, to assertiveness. Like we can validate and have empathy without giving ourselves away. You know, yeah. we have the right to put boundaries around our strengths even. Right. And again, that's like, that's what I think I love about assertiveness. It's so multi-layered. It's never just about an I message or saying no to the person who shows up for tea. Right. Yes. It's, <laughs> no, it's really about backing yourself, accepting where you are and giving yourself, this is the core of it for me, permission. Yeah. That's really what it teaches, right? We can give ourselves permission to feel the way we do. Obviously, of course, it's within a way that still continues to respect the other person. And, Mm -hmm. but we can give ourselves permission to be where we are, you know, as long as again, we're not violating the rights of, of the other person. That's the other side of assertion, right? You're doing it in a way that's healthy for both parties. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a really good way to sum it up. You know, I was thinking about, um, situations with certain family members and just reflecting on all the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. And I just had this aha moment and it's, it's probably super obvious, but to me, it actually just finally clicked in, in that I can ask for what I need from people. And that doesn't, that's not necessarily asking for them to change. So let me put some context around that. So I can ask for people when I'm around them, if I hear them do something that makes me uncomfortable, I can ask them not to do that thing while I'm there. They can go ahead and do that all the times that I'm not there, but while I'm here, please don't do that. And that's, and because I think a lot of my hangup around asking for what I need is that I was lumping it into like this all or nothing thinking like, well, if I'm asking that I'm asking them to change as a person. Nope. I'm just saying, don't do that shit in front of me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right, right. That's so interesting. I don't think that's like, yeah, I, I think that's a real learning moment. That came from our conversations. Yeah. And and from our conversations, I think has emerged for me the value of, of, of letting myself be present, just, just me, not transformational or people-pleasing mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And and I'd like to think too, you know, both of us through having these talks and talking with each other, it's, it produces growth in us. And of course we hope that our listeners feel some of that as well, but I think it's okay. Even if it just (laughs) made us grow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I definitely learned so much and was able to like process things that I, that I'd already started to have an awareness around. So it's been really powerful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And you know, I'm still looking for opportunities to, um, I guess, use the new, I guess, insights that I've gathered from things that you've said and things that I've said, and just, I guess, our whole conversations. And I feel like there's always opportunity okay. to practice or to do, to continue on the path of growth um, in a, in a soft way, you know, without, again, because I think we talked about this early on, like, and you mentioned it earlier too. We don't need to force anything. We don't need to be like, stop people pleasing. It's the opposite of that, right? It's acceptance. uh, Why also guiding yourself through better practices. Mm -hmm. And now I see opportunity everywhere. There's opportunity everywhere to try to do something different that is better for myself and the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Always opportunity. <laughs> well, I think our next podcast, because we've already touched on it, I feel like we're orga- organically seeping into grief. So that was for our listeners. That was our, I guess, our third topic that we were hoping to share some conversation on. And I think organically, <laughs> I think we're ready for it. I feel like we touched on it a bit today and I feel like we're there. We're ready to to go into a conversation about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us in season three, where we talked about people pleasing and assertiveness. I hope you'll join us in our next season when we talk about unpacking grief. And this can be, you know, about 
grieving the loss of a loved one. It can be grieving the loss of an identity, of a job, of really anything. And we're just going to talk about the layers of this and, and how to move forward and how to carry something like grief because it's not something that you really get over. So I hope you'll join us for that in our next season together. Bye for now.